If you would stand with me, we'll be reading the first chapter of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan and you and all this people into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you in all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions. For within three days you are going to pass over this Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given to you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over the armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you and they take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given them then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it the land that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise and they answered Joshua all that you have commanded us we will do and wherever you send us we will go just as we obeyed Moses in all things so we obey you Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command them, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. may be seated. Good morning. I was drawn to the song that we sang here just a moment ago pardon for sin and a peace that endureth and then the phrase thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide you know as we see as you read through the book of Joshua you see the presence of God going before Joshua going before the people the presence of God going with Joshua and going with the people at least I'll put an asterisk at least in those times when they are obedient in fact he says as much in the scripture I will not be with you 
unless and until you get rid of the sin that's among you, right? Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You know, you read the book of Joshua and you see uh, that phrase in chapter one that Chris just read for us. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. And as we read through the, the entirety of Joshua and we read through much of the Old Testament, we see that our strength and the, and the call and to be strong and of good courage comes not from ourselves, but comes from the God of all strength, the God of all power and might. He's the one who effectively works in us who believe, the Bible says. And so it's, uh, it's great to be able to sing a hymn and be able to see the truths of what we're singing uh, in the midst of the text that we're also preaching and, and hearing. So I wanted to bring those forward just as an upfront caveat to the, to the message. Appreciated those words. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive in. With your profitable word open before us, Lord, we present ourselves to you. Lord, we ask that you would make us each day put on the armor that you have fashioned and fit for your people. You've provided the armor. You've given to us a sword to bear. And may we take up this sword, this word of yours. May we hold forth the shield of faith in the battle that wages around us. Remembering that we have been called to stand You are the God of salvation. We ascribe strength to you this morning. Your excellence is over all the earth. And God, you are more awesome than your holy places. You are the one who gives strength and power to your people. Blessed be the Lord, our rock. The one who trained Joshua for war and trained his fingers for battle. God, you are our loving kindness. You're our fortress, our high tower and deliverer, our shield and the one in whom we can confidently take refuge. You are the one who subdues the enemy. You are the one who brings victory. And Lord, just as your mighty hand helped Joshua and the people of Israel, I pray that this day your hand would become our help. Teach us, Lord, your statutes and strengthen us to walk in your paths of righteousness. And may we be quick to credit you with the victories that come in our lives. For you are our salvation, the source of our strength. Pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, as a lead in here. We were in Deuteronomy last week. I want to read uh, a few verses here from Deuteronomy 31 that I think are helpful, really set the stage for uh, Joshua chapter 1. And there's really two parts to this first eight verses. We see that verses 1 through 6 are words that are spoken by Moses to all of Israel. Okay? And then verses 7 and 8 are words spoken by Moses 
to Joshua in the sight of all Israel. Okay? So in that first section, the word spoken by Moses to all Israel, he says in verse 3, The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. Verse 4, the Lord will do to them, to the enemies, will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og. So there's a record of what the Lord has done, and the Lord's going to keep doing these things, these things that you've seen. The Lord, in verse 5, will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. And in verse 6, remember Moses here is speaking to all of Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now those are familiar words, aren't they, from what we just read in Joshua chapter 1. These are words spoken by Moses to all of Israel. In verses 7 and 8... He's now speaking to Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And he says to Joshua, be strong and of good courage, Joshua. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers. There's the promise, the covenant. And you shall cause them to inherit it. You shall cause them to inherit it, Joshua. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, Joshua. He will be with you. Joshua, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Some familiar words again. So he gives these words to all of Israel. And then he gives these words to Joshua, the one who is going to be leading the people. Shortly after speaking these words, Moses ascends Mount Pisgah. He's granted a view of the land promised by God to the children of Israel, and then he dies. Thirty days of mourning and weeping follow the death of Moses. And then we read these words in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, by the way, Nun is a name, it's his father's name, Nun. It's just kind of an odd name, the son of Nun. It doesn't mean there was no one. He's the son of no. He's the son of none. That's the name of his father. N U N. Okay, Joshua, the son of none. He was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him, as did the Lord, as 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 the Lord had commanded Moses. End of Deuteronomy. Turn to Joshua one. Joshua is the first of 12 history books in the Old Testament. Any history students here? Anyone here like history? Anybody? Just a few of you. All right. Well, you know, I remember some things about history growing up. And as I was looking at this and looking at the books in the Old Testament that are under the genre of history, I was recalling that starting today and really going all the way through the book of Esther, which we're not going to get to this summer, we're going to get all the way through Second Chronicles. But from here 
to the end of our journey here this summer, we're going to be in the history books. That's where we're going to be for these next several weeks of the Old Testament. You've probably heard it said at some point or another that history is the record of his story. God's story. It's his story. Really, in many ways it is. If we look at, at what the scriptures say, it's, it's, a, it's an account of what God has done through his people. The history that's provided here in the scriptures isn't given to fill your minds with facts and dates and people and places. You know, I remember growing up and I remember studying for history exams and geography exams. And I learned a lot of dates. I learned a lot of places on maps. I learned the names of a lot of significant events and leaders. Much of that is now gone from my memory. It's not there anymore. I learned it for a test. But you you see, history isn't given solely to memorize facts. It's good that we know those things. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But biblical history as recorded for us in these 12 books of the Old Testament, is surely not given to us for the purpose of data collecting alone. You see, the genre of history in the Bible is given to present the data of what happened, but it does so in a way to give meaning to why it happened. And here's the thing. Behind the why is God. Behind the why is God. He's the one who's behind it. Biblical history weaves together the data revealing God's intimate involvement. God's involvement in history provides the lens through which we see the data. In other words, history is not this dry, boring subject as some think think that it is. Oh, this is about dates and... No. It's a portrait of God at work in the world through the nations, through individuals. Moses and Joshua is an example. Working out his purposes in the scope of time, revealing himself, showing himself to the people he's created. History is God's identification marker for people to see him at work. Changes everything when we look at history that way. Hill and Walton, in their book, A Survey of the Old Testament, they write these words about God's purpose and work in the book of Joshua. They said, it's evident that the purpose of the book of Joshua is to convey how God kept his covenant promises to bring the Israelites into the land he had showed to Abraham. All the way back to Abraham. The faithfulness of God, we sang about it this morning, The faithfulness of God in carrying out his end of the covenant is important to affirm. It explains why there is frequent reference to the Lord's giving the land to the people and why his role gets so much attention. The message is that God keeps his promises no matter how hard they may seem. God keeps his promises. So this genre, this grouping of kinds of scripture, different kinds of literature, if you will, some would deem it. History, that's where we're at, and that's where we're going to be for these next several weeks. 
It's history with a view to gathering what happened in the past, seeing why it happened perhaps, but bringing it all together under the banner of God at work. Okay? In the book of Joshua, God is at work keeping his covenant promises to bring the Israelites into the land he swore to give them. And they're almost there. They're on the plains of Moab and they're almost there. As Deuteronomy closes. So while history has people, places, events and memorable dates. Let's not forget the driving source behind it all. What we're reading about is truly his story. You see the scriptures are most profitable for our soul. Are they not? And they reveal God to us. This is his revealed word. What he's like. Who he is, how he works and operates in history through the lives of people just like you and me. And using Joshua 1, 1 through 9, sort of as the launch pad for the study this morning. I'd like to point out some historic landmarks, some helpful verses, some helpful passages in particular that unfold God's ongoing plan to lead his people out of Egypt into the land of promise. And so along the way, some questions that perhaps you can ask yourself. How is God at work here? How's he at work? What is God up to in the lives of his people? Are there any principles, patterns, or precepts that I can glean from God's word in this section of history? Making a road trip through the book of Joshua, is there anything that God would want to teach me specifically through this book? There's some questions for you to think through. The book is titled, The Book of Joshua. It's better rendered... And by the way, this was pretty much the working title, I think, of of the message. The history of God at work through the servant Joshua. The history of God at work through Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant... Now, verses 2 through 9 are going to detail the exact words of the Lord to Joshua. I I think in so many ways, verses 2 through 9, the words of the Lord to Joshua in chapter 1 set the whole scope of the book. But look for just a moment at the titles given to Joshua. The son of Nun, by the way, Chronicles 7, we can track down this person, Nun. Chronicles 7 and 26 and 27, and within the scope of the generations of Ephraim, one of Joseph's sons, one of the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Elishama, his son, Nun, his son, and Joshua, his son. That's Chronicles 7, 26 and 27. So that's just a little bit of marking him. He actually is related to somebody. There's a record of it in our scriptures. God's given that to us. But this might also help us understand and explain why when you get to Joshua 19 verse 50, 
that Joshua asks for the land that's called Timnath Sarah. Now, to many of us, we have no idea, no clue what's great about Timnath Sarah, right? But it's actually found in the mountains of, can you guess which tribe? Ephraim. It's in Ephraim. You see, this is his father's country. This is his household. This is his family. This, this is where his roots are grounded in Ephraim. His land is going to be in the mountains of Ephraim. And he builds him a place there in Ephraim. Moses is from the tribe of Levi. Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. Okay, we got that? There's also a title here in verse 1 that Joshua is Moses' assistant. If you flip all the way back to Exodus chapter 24, verse 13, shortly after the Ten Commandments are given the first time, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. His assistant Joshua. Joshua has been around for quite a long time, shadowing, following Moses. Can you imagine having that as a job internship, sort of? Just following Moses around for a while? Wow. All the things he saw. All the things he saw of Moses, but all the things he saw of God at work through Moses. One title here in Joshua 1 verse 1 describes and identifies his family. He's the son of none. But the second title describes his work to this point as Moses' assistant. Turn with me. This is, uh, this is really an interesting thing. Because when you get to the end of the book, turn to the last chapter of Joshua. And verse 29. It came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, there's that title again. But then we read, the servant of the Lord died. 110 years old. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord he goes from being Moses' assistant in chapter 1, verse 1, to at the end of the book being the servant of the Lord. Now, by the way, that title, servant of the Lord, was the title given to Moses at the beginning of Joshua. How does one go from Moses' assistant to servant of the Lord? Turn to Joshua chapter 11, verse 15. Probably one of my favorites. If not, it's become one of my favorite verses in this whole book. I believe it gives definition to the life of Joshua as the leader of God's people and helps us understand this description in 2429 as servant of the Lord. It says, as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. Listen to the last line. I love this. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Isn't that great? He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Another translation says Joshua did as he was told, carefully obeying all the commandments that the Lord had given to Moses. He did as he was told. Carefully obeying. Joshua was a detailed person. He was an administrator. He was a warrior for sure, but he was an administrator too. 
He carefully carried out the instructions of the Lord as passed along to Moses. Well, you go back to Joshua chapter 1 and, and you, you get to verse 2. And, and now the Lord is actually speaking to Joshua. And he states a fact right up front. Moses, my servant, is dead. They've been mourning for him for the last 30 days. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them. There's that phrase. The land which I am giving to them. The children of Israel. So God says the period of mourning is over. Moses is dead. The mission hasn't changed. The promise still remains. The land I've sworn to your fathers is yet to be entered. Notice the first action step God gives Joshua. Arise, go over this Jordan. Simple statement. Not this long diatribe, real simple statement. Arise, go over this Jordan. No elaboration is given in the text. Get up, go over this Jordan. Perhaps the river was right there in view as God is speaking. The, the river that you're facing, look, this river right here, the one you're in front of, go over this Jordan, you and all the people. Rise and go. Now, from what the text tells us, when you get to the actual account of the crossing in chapter 3, the text tells us that the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. God doesn't make this instruction easy, does he? It's a simple statement. Joshua, rise and go over this Jordan. But it's not going to be easy. Maybe not so hard if Joshua were the only one assigned to cross the Jordan. But the instruction is for him and all the people to cross the Jordan. Now, what a, think about the logistical nightmare of crossing the Jordan with million, two million people. Demographics, little, little folks all the way up to the older ones. What a mess this could potentially be. Well, I mean, where do you get enough? And I don't, I don't have any idea whether Joshua was thinking any of these thoughts. Maybe he was much more mature than I would have been if I would have received the same assignment. But I'd have been thinking, like, are there not enough, you know, you remember the, the fish and the loaves? And like, we don't have enough to feed these people. I'd have been like, we don't have enough floaties for all the little ones to get across the river here. Well, we don't have enough. There's too many children and we don't have enough floaties. How are they going to get across? Does everyone know how to hold their breath? Does everyone here know how to swim? Are there any boats available to take the parties from one side to the other? And by the way, how long would it take to keep taking one group from this side to the other side, this side to the other side? How long is that going to take? God's first words to Joshua are, Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Praise God, Joshua already had a context. Remember the words that Moses had already given to him in Deuteronomy 31. Be strong of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land. You shall cause them to inherit it, Joshua. And the Lord, Joshua, he's the one who goes before you, and he will be with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Don't fear, Joshua. Now, while those words still don't answer the questions of how 
he's going to cross the Jordan with the people. It does provide an assurance, a level of confidence that God's going to go with him. In fact, God is going before him. Helpful, is it not, to know that God is leading the way? You see, and they've had a picture of the people of God. That is, they've had this picture of God going before them with the pillar of cloud and fire, right? I wonder how many times Joshua returned to those words of Moses in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. How comforting and strengthening that these words would have been for him as he's leading the people. And it really got me thinking about, and it's really a question for us all. Are are there any words in the scriptures that serve as your comfort and your strength in your time of need? Are there any what I would call go-to verses in your own life for uncertainties, for difficulties, for trials, for challenges, obstacles that seem to be in your way. Isn't it great to have the word in you? Hidden in your heart, stored away in your mind for times like these? Well, look back at Joshua 1, look at 3 and 4 together. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea going toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now notice God here is telling Joshua what he's already done. Love this. I've given you the land. You haven't tread your foot upon any of it yet. But it's yours for the taking. As I said to Moses. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. The extent to which God defines the territory of the promised land wouldn't come to fruition until the time of, we see a reference here, this is a pretty close reference to based on what God gives in Joshua 1, 4. When you look at 2 Chronicles 9, 26, this is the period of Solomon. It says, so he, Solomon, reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. Solomon, just a huge amount of territory. That territory is going to be yours. In other words, the description of the promised land in Joshua 1 verse 4, it's all theirs, but not yet. Joshua, all this land shall be your territory. You don't see it yet, but it's yours. I have given it to you. So what remains then for Joshua and what remains for the people of God reminds me a lot of what Paul says in Romans 4, 20 and 21, speaking of Abraham, saying, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God promised, he was also able to perform. That's the definition of faith. And that is exactly what's needed at this point. This land is yours, but you haven't tread a foot yet upon that ground. I've given it to you. 
Look back at verse 5, Joshua 1. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now Joshua had heard similar words from Moses himself back in Deuteronomy 31. But now the words, I will be with you, I will not leave you nor forsake you, they're coming from the Lord himself. The Lord himself. You're going to be the one, Joshua, to cause my people to inherit the land that I've promised. I'm going to see that no one stands in your way. As I work through Moses, and you saw good and well how I worked through Moses. As I work through Moses, so I'll be working through you. In fact, we see an evidence of this shortly as you keep reading in in the book of Joshua in chapter 3. Joshua is calling all the people to get ready to cross the Jordan. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Fast forward, they cross over. The memorial stones are collected. Chapter 4, verse 14. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. God is going before, and God is with Joshua, showing himself strong in the life of Joshua. What a comfort to know that God is going to be with you. What a joy to know that God is never, the idea there has never, never, it's a double negative, never, never leave you. Right? We, we learned about this in Hebrews when it pops up, the promise pops up in Hebrews chapter 13. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you fast forward to the end of Joshua in chapter 23, you see that as Joshua is speaking to the leaders of Israel... In chapter 23, verse 9, it says, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you this day. Where do you think Joshua came up with those words to give to the people? I think he came up with those words. Those are the words that he held on to that God gave him back in chapter 1, verse 5. No one's going to be able to stand against you this day, Joshua. And Joshua delivers that to the people. Remember how God has been at work. Well, God's promised presence comes before what we see in verse 6. Turn back to Joshua 1, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, three times in these next four verses, God instructs Joshua to be strong and courageous. God is going before Joshua. God has promised to be with Joshua, to never leave him nor forsake him. And yet Joshua is charged with being strong and of good courage. I'm going with you, but you've got work to do, Joshua. Work that demands strength, And courage, 
You need to trust me, Joshua, as you cross the Jordan and as you lead this people. Now notice here in verse 6 that the call to be strong and of good courage. It's connected to Joshua's dividing the land for the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so really, I wanted to put this up here on the board because this is a helpful way to dissect, if you will, the parts of the book of Joshua. The first five chapters, they're entering in to the land promised. In chapter 6 through 12, you see Joshua leading them as God is at work through Joshua conquering the lands, dispossessing the nations. Two battles of which get talked about more than others are the battles of Jericho and the battle of Ai, right? Achan stealing the stuff, remember that, in the battle of Jericho. And there's a setback there for a time, right? Ai, and they finally get in and defeat Ai. Then 13 through 21 is, is the section that ties into what we're talking about here in chapter 1, verse 6. It's dividing, dividing the land. In the inheritance that was going to be apportioned to all the tribes of Israel. Okay? So that's, that's a good bulk of this book. Is dividing the land. It's, it's what's going to happen here. I've got work for you to do, Joshua. You're going to be dividing the land for these 12 tribes. And beginning in Joshua chapter 13, running through Joshua 19, the land is divided among the tribes. Okay? The cities of refuge then are appointed in Joshua chapter 20. And then the Levites are appointed their particular lands in Joshua chapter 21. And by the end of Joshua chapter 21, all the land is divided. Joshua, Eleazar, remember Eleazar is the son of whom? Aaron, okay? Joshua, Eleazar, and the heads of the tribes, they collaborate together on this task of dividing the land. It's a large task ahead. A big bulk of this book is on dividing this land. You shall divide as an inheritance, chapter 1, verse 6, to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Why only nine and a half tribes? Do you remember? Because the other two and a half tribes had already gotten their land apportioned by Moses before he died. Okay? So we see a recounting of that. So as we don't forget that happened, it's actually here in Joshua. Reuben and Gad and half-tribe Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan, they got their land. And now we see in this middle section of the book all the other tribes getting the land of inheritance for them. So be strong and courageous, Joshua. There's work to do here. But I believe there's also an element in the text of dealing with the people themselves. If you see in the text, you know, it's not only are you dividing the land, but you're going, you're going to be dealing with people. People. You, just, you don't just have hard work, Joshua. You're going to be dealing with people and not just any people, Joshua, you're going to be dealing with these people who have a record. There's a pattern of being stubborn, rebellious. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. I'm going before you. I'm going to be with you. 
Hold on to those promises. You're going to need them. For in the midst of dealing with these people, you may be tempted to turn aside, to forego the mission, be strong and of good courage. That's not just the task of dividing the land, but it's also dealing with the people. Look at Joshua 1, 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So you have a mighty warrior in Joshua and a call from the Lord to be strong and very courageous. The two go together, don't they? Strong and courageous, mighty warrior. A warrior is supposed to be strong and courageous. That's the picture we get. But while many of us tend to think only of the physical aspects of strength and courage needed for battling the enemy, there's another element that's presented here in the text. Strength and courage is needed, according to verse 7, to keep or to do according to all the law which Moses commanded. Don't turn to the side. Don't cut corners spiritually, Joshua. You're leading the people physically into the land of promise. You will cause them to inherit it as I go with you. You see, it's right here where I believe that many of us men, we like to think of Joshua solely from the warrior template. The fighting and the battle and the war and the armor. And there's something about that that just gets us on the the balls of our feet. We're, We're ready. The manly stuff tend to gravitate towards. Listen, God is highlighting for Joshua what it's going to take to accomplish his plan. And yes, it will involve Joshua being a mighty warrior in the service of the Lord. No doubt about it. Read Joshua 6 through 12. And you see, it's very much a part of his plan. He's using Joshua in that way. But is there not another element here? And may I insert perhaps a greater importance to the Lord in his instruction to Joshua? Let me try to be more helpful with verse 7 by giving verse 8. This book of the law, God says to Joshua, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So the mighty warrior Joshua is also called to be a mighty man of God. A man who holds fast to the truth of God's word. A man described by the psalmist in this way. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither. Listen to the last line here. Verse 3 Psalm 1. And whatever he does shall what? Prosper. You see the connection between prospering and being in his word? Being strong in his word? 
Psalm 112 verse 1 begins this way, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Joshua left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. He left nothing undone. And this is why when you get to Joshua chapter 8, love this, you find Joshua building an altar to God. Having just gained victory over Ai thanks to God's ambush strategy, remember that? Joshua is found doing what Moses had commanded in the book of the law. In fact, if you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 27 in verses 2 and 3, Moses says, Keep all the commandments which I command you, and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones, whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Here it's Joshua chapter 8, and Joshua builds an altar, and he does what he does, Based on 31 of Joshua 8, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it's written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, sacrificed peace of offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. What's he doing? He's leaving nothing undone. He's carefully obeying. You see, when they crossed over, Joshua is instructed by God. This is another example. In in Joshua chapter 5, he's instructed to circumcise the people again. Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the people. Now, I have no idea how long that took. I'm sure that was quite a time. He does exactly what he's instructed to do. He keeps the covenant, this covenant that was established with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. He circumcises all the males, all the men of war entering into the land. And shortly after, then you see in in Joshua chapter 5, what else does he do according to the law? They celebrate Passover right there on the plains of Jericho. Do you see, Joshua isn't just this mighty warrior that we oftentimes picture in our minds. Joshua is a man of God intent on carefully obeying all that God's instructed him. You see, he's not so caught up in the event itself, the event, the victory. He's not so caught up in the victory. They just won, right? Or they just conquered something. They just got over. He's not so caught up in the event itself that he forgets God and his word. Remember, do not forget. We just came out of that in Deuteronomy, didn't we? I think Joshua heard those words. Don't allow this word of God, Joshua 1.8, to depart from your mouth. Meditate in it day and night. You see, mighty warriors are most mighty when they do battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You might have a physical sword. You you might be a strong man. You might be physically imposing. But if you don't have Christ in you, if you have not the word of God in you, you are vulnerable to attack. 
throughout this book of Joshua, there's this constant thread of conversation between the Lord and Joshua. Joshua's life is patterned upon hearing from God. Joshua did as he was told. He carefully did as he was told. His life is one that's built upon the Lord and upon the Lord's commands. And thus it should come as no surprise then that he prospers and he has good success. One writer said it's possible to succeed on a purely human level. Example, one can be financially successful. This is something that even the wicked can do. But for the most part in the Old Testament, he writes, success is impossible without the involvement of the hand of God. Success is impossible without the involvement of the hand of God. The Lord was with Joseph in Egypt and gave him success. Genesis chapter 39. As long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. Nehemiah is confident that the God of heaven will give success. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 20. So what then according to the Lord is the definition of prosperity and success? Surely it's not what we hear on the television today. It's not. Is it not obedience to the words of God? Leaving nothing undone what God has spoken? Making it a point to walk as Christ himself walked? Abiding in the vine of Christ, not forsaking him, not neglecting his word? Trusting fully in God's words and ways? Relying on his strength, his power, working in and through us? Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Here the call to be strong and of good courage comes on the heels of a question. A rhetorical question of sorts. Have I not commanded you? You could read that probably in a few different ways. You could emphasize the I. You could emphasize the, have I not commanded you? This is no option, Joshua. As a leader of my people Israel, I'm commanding you to be strong and of good courage. Joshua, I want you to know that you have my backing. You have my support. You have my encouragement. My authority goes with you. Now that's interesting because that reminds me of Matthew chapter 28. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. See, part of our commissioning before the Lord Jesus is that we would teach others to observe, to do all the things which he's commanded of us. And the last part of that commissioning goes like this. Lo, I am with you always. Even to the very end of the age. Know that as you go, I'm going with you. It's interesting to me 
that Joshua's name has the idea of the Lord is salvation. The God of history uses a man named the Lord is salvation. In some ways, you probably heard it said Joshua is a type of Christ who is yet to come. A few verses that I think are significant as we close this. In Joshua chapter 6 and Joshua 8 and 10 and 11. Just a, a verse in those chapters that really emphasize God delivering, God saving, God going with. And in chapter 6 verse 2, they're getting ready to go into Jericho. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. I have given Jericho into your hand. Chapter 8. After they have cleansed the camp and Achan has been stoned and burned and all his stuff, sin has been uncovered. It says that the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger at the end of chapter 7. Now in chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. I'm giving it to you. It's in your hand. The Lord is delivering once again through Joshua. Turn to chapter 10. This is the chapter where the sun stands still. You remember that passage? For a good part of the day, the sun remains in the sky. Allows Joshua and his army to, to, to totally wipe out the people and destroy them as God said and commanded for them to do. We see in chapter 10, all of these people are gathering to the men of Gibeon. Remember the Gibeon folks are the ones who deceit, deceitfully came in chapter 9, right? They came with their story of, oh, all this came a long journey and they, they were just full of smoke because they, they had heard of the Lord. They were scared of what the Lord could do and so they were trying to get out of being gone. And, and so they were actually nearby. They weren't from a faraway land. And so they're getting attacked. These four or five nations from around, they're going at Gibeon. And Gibeon says, hey, help, help, help. And there's a lot of people. And then we see these words in chapter 10, verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Not a man of them. That reminds me of Joshua 1, 5. Not a man's going to stand before you, Joshua. In this particular situation, not a man of that, these armies that are coming against you right here, Joshua. None of them are going to stand against you. The Lord is going to deliver once again through Joshua. Flip the page in chapter 11. In chapter 11, we see this conquest of the, in the north. These uh, nations had gathered together. Uh, said that as many people as the sand on the seashore in multitude, very many horses and chariots. And all these kings came together to fight against Israel. Pretty frightening situation. Look at 11 verse 6. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time, I love that phrase, tomorrow about this time, tomorrow about this time, Joshua, tomorrow about this time. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty neat, Lord. You're giving me some specifics here. Tomorrow about this time. That's great. It's wonderful. What's going to happen? I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. Verse 8, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. No need to worry, no need to fear. 
I'm going to take care of this. I'm going before you. I'm going with you. And then flip to Joshua 21. I love these verses. 43 through 45, Joshua 21. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. They took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. That's Joshua 1.5 again, isn't it? Not a man stood against them. Look at verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Not a word failed. All came to pass. Great is thy faithfulness. Chapter 23, he's speaking to the leaders of the nation. He's about to die. Joshua, that is. Chapter 23, verse 14, ties into the end of 21. He says, Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Isn't that great? Think about your life and getting to the end of your life like Joshua and being able to see the hand of God, the work of God, not only in your own life, but in the lives of this people. And he's calling out the leaders. He's about to die. And he's calling out the leaders, all those who are, who are heads and, and leading the nation across the board. And he's calling out to them. Remember, you've seen it with your own eyes. You've seen what he's done. Don't leave anything undone. And God has commanded it. And in that last chapter, 24, he's speaking to all Israel. It gets to 14 of chapter 24. Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. You know, I've always wondered about that phrase. If it seems evil. How in the world does it seem evil to serve the Lord? How could someone come to that conclusion? It's hard, it's hard for me to fathom. As good as he is. He puts it out there. You talked about a choice earlier. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. There it is. Last week we closed with a, cho- a choice too, didn't we? He gave the answer last week. It was choose life. I set before you death and life, good and evil. Choose life. He is your life in the length of your days. And here, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I want you to understand something this morning from the book of Joshua. That this God that we serve is a God who fights for his people. It's a God who fights for his people. Joshua 10 verse 42. says all these kings in their land Joshua took at one time. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. The Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Chapter 23. Verse 3, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. Chapter 23, verse 10, one man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. This is God who fights for us. Joshua dies, chapter 24, verse 29. Joshua, who now is the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, not just merely Moses' assistant. Joshua dies, and the record of history is that all Israel served the Lord during the days of Joshua. Look at that, that's verse 31. Verse 31 of chapter 24. All Israel, Israel served the Lord all the days. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. What a testimony. To look back on a generation that followed the Lord God and endeavored to give him pleasure. Praise be to the Lord. Think about the groundwork that had been laid up to this point. All the spiritual guidance that had been given and received. And carefully handled and done, carried out. The words of the Lord. Things seem to be set in order for the strengthening of yet another generation to come. Another generation that can build upon what has already been a wonderful testimony. It's it's in place. The spiritual heritage is there. Next week, we'll check the spiritual climate of the generation following Joshua. That's the book of Judges. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being a God who fights for us. A God who fights our battles. You've called us to stand. You've already won. You've already achieved the victory. We sing about it. Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. I pray, Lord, that we would, as we have gone through this book of Joshua, there's so many particular stories and accounts in the book that we didn't dive into wholeheartedly this morning. But Lord, I I believe in many ways this instruction that you've given to to Joshua in chapter 1 really encompasses all that happens and occurs in the book. We thank you, Lord, for your promises that you keep. You are a promise keeper, a covenant keeper. You take your word very seriously and you carry out that word that you give. And Lord, even in the midst of your promise to go with 
and go before Joshua and the people of Israel. You called Joshua to work. You called him to some hard things. You've called him to not just dispossess enemy nations and bring a people into a land and divide a land as hard as that would have been. But Lord, you called him, I believe at a greater level, you called him to be a man of God. And Lord, today, as, we, as we're praying and on the back end of this message, Lord, it's my prayer that we would all hear that very clearly because I do believe for each one of us here, there's a great application. That it's not in our job, it's not in our title, it's not our vocation, it's who we are in Christ. And I pray, Father, that there would be men, old and young, women, old and young in this place, who see their primary role and purpose in this life to be a man or a woman of God who walks with the Lord Jesus Christ, who carries out the word. Blessed is this man or woman today who meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. And the connection between that is given in that same psalm that whatever he does prospers. Oh, it may not make the the headline news It might not uh, win an award or win a trophy. But in your eyes, it's deemed success. In your eyes, it's deemed prosperity. Anchor us, Lord, to you. See that your word abides in us and that we are abiding in you. We look forward to what you'll do in and through us as we continue to walk in this journey in the days that you've given. May we be reminded to choose each and every day whom we're going to serve. May we throw away the foreign gods that are around us today. And may we instead incline our hearts to wholeheartedly follow in the ways of Christ. Thank you for this good word. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.